0: In Jesus' name, amen. Last time we considered the first commandment, we looked at the negative side of this commandment. What is forbidden? And we saw who you shall not have as your God. But Tonight we consider the positive. What is required in this commandment? Who you shall have as your God. And what does that mean? What does that look like? The first commandment proclaims to you that God is and God must be supreme. He is the only living, true God, and he must be your God. He must be the object of your worship, your affection, your devotion, your trust. Your life must revolve around him and be centered on him by truly knowing him, by truly trusting in him. You have no other gods before him positively by having him and him alone as your God. By faith, by being devoted to him, having an undivided heart fully given to him and a life that seeks to reflect that. Together tonight, we want to see that having the Lord alone as your God means you must know him and trust him, obey him, worship and serve him, know him through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The heart of the first commandment tonight is this, brothers and sisters, you shall have the Lord as your God. You shall have the Lord as your God. God calls you to have him as your God. By faith in him, through his son. Worship and serve him only. Well, let's think about that together and think about what that means and what it looks like to have the Lord as your God. In order to do that, to keep this commandment in Christ, you must first know and acknowledge God. Know and acknowledge God. Verse 3 again, you shall have no other gods before me. Who is me in the first commandment? Me is the Lord. The Lord your God. The Savior. The one who's brought you out of Egypt, brought you out of slavery to sin and death. And to have him as your God, you must know him. You must know who he is and what he's like and what he does and what he has done. And you don't know this by speculation. You don't know these things by logic or reason. By sentimental reflection or religious reflection. You don't know this by reading the stars. In the middle school class, we talked about this this morning. How do you know these things about God? You listen to him. God must reveal himself. You let him make himself known and tell you about him. And he does that primarily in his word, his special revelation. Brothers and sisters, do you know the God of the Bible? You cannot have him as your God if you do not know him. Do you know who he really is? What he's like as he's revealed himself in the scriptures? And do you pursue a knowledge of him? Do you want to know him? Do you long to know him? People long to know about all sorts of things. They pursue all sorts of things. You name it. People are interested in it. They know about it. They're consumed by it. Some of these interests or pursuits may not all be bad. But we can become so consumed with these things and more interested in knowing them than God. Pursuing this world and the things of this world. The creation when we were made to pursue and to know the creator. We were made to pursue the world to come. Life is to be one long, relentless pursuit of God. But instead, it's often in sin, it's often one long pursuit of false gods. One long pursuit of self-fulfillment and self-gain. And these things other than God that we pursue become our gods. And so God is competing with other things. God is competing with whatever it might be, golf, camping, Hollywood. God is competing with the Broncos. God is competing with sleep or fitness or the next raise or that early retirement, self-image. God is competing with comfort or pleasure and on and on. And there's just not time or interest or heart left for the living God. There's no need of him. What is he competing with perhaps in your life? What are you tempted to pursue and long to know above him? These things ultimately are empty. Pursuing these things are chasing after the wind. These things do not compare with knowing the living, true God. John Owen once put, this, put it this way, Men walk and talk as if this world were all there is, when comparatively it is nothing. Men walk and talk as if this world were all there is, when comparatively it is nothing. It's no wonder that there's so much moral collapse and hopelessness and darkness in our world. Because as human beings, we have forsaken life's most basic purpose and basic relationship, basic truth and knowledge. Knowing the God who gave life, having him as our God, the creator of the universe as the center of our universe. Do you know the living and true God? Do you know what he said and what he's done? Do you want to? God tells you in the first commandment to have him as your God. And you cannot do that apart from knowing him. But beyond that, you have him as your God by acknowledging that he is God. By acknowledging the fact that he is the living God. The only true God. That what he reveals about himself is true. That he made you. That you are on this earth because of his desire and his creation. You acknowledge that he is real and true and he is God. Jeremiah 9 verse 23 and following says this. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom... Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. But it's not enough to simply know and acknowledge God. You and I must know him personally. We must commit ourselves to him. We must submit to him. We must know him in a sense of trusting him and loving him, believing in him and honoring him. And so, to have the Lord as your God, second, you and I must also trust and obey this God. Trust and obey God. Now, as Israel received this command after being brought out of Egypt, they knew it was the Lord their God who had delivered them out of Egypt. It was not some other God, it was not their wisdom, their plan, their creativity. It wasn't their military might or their wealth. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't any other man. It wasn't their righteousness, their law-keeping, their goodness. He was their God, and he alone had saved them. And he alone demanded their trust. Trust that he alone was the true God. The one who could save and give life. And this is what this commandment requires of you as well. To really know God and have him as your God, you must trust him and you must seek to obey him. God demands your trust and your obedience. And friends, who do you trust? Who do you trust? Think about your life and what that might reveal about where your trust is. Are you trusting in yourself? Are you trusting in money? Are you trusting in your job? Or in finding a job? Are you trusting in your health or your talents? Your good works? Your reputation? Think about where you turn when you face difficulty. When you face sorrow. When you think about the reality of death. The reality of sin and judgment. Where is your trust? What is your hope? Who are you putting your trust in? Kids, you probably remember the story of David and Goliath. Think about the difference in their trust. Where their trust was. Goliath trusted in his own size and strength. And his weapons, his spear. If David was trusting in those things, he would have had reason to cower in fear and run the other way. But his trust was in the Lord. God was his God. Brothers and sisters, in the first commandment, God speaks directly to you and says, Trust me. I am God. I'm real. I'm true. I'm trustworthy. I created you. I'm the only redeemer. I will save you. I will give you eternal life. Have you trusted in this God? Are you trusting in this God? Do you believe that He is the Lord? The Creator, the only Savior. Is your faith in His Son, Jesus Or are you relying on yourself, your own understanding, the strength of men? We heard Proverbs 3 already tonight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Do you trust God or are you leaning on your own understanding? On the understanding of man, on the strength of man? Are you seeking to acknowledge and obey him in all of your ways? Does that work itself out, that trust, does it work itself out in prayer? Are you depending on God by going to him in his word? By turning to his body, the church? Is that trust and that faith, is it bearing fruit in your life? The fruit of good works and obedience, not to win his favor, but in grateful response to his grace. Many can claim God as their God. Anyone can claim God as their God and take the Christian label and go through the motions and show up at church. But practically, they can be devoted to other gods. They obey the self and the, the passions and desires of the flesh, the wisdom of this world, and their trust is not in God. Friends, let that not be true of any of you here tonight. By repenting of your sin and by trusting in Jesus Christ, by the grace and power of God. God says, I am to be your God. Know and trust and love me and and seek to show me in all of your ways, in all of life. Well, third and finally, to have the Lord as your God, you must also worship and serve this God. Worship and serve God. Look again at verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. Worship and serve the Lord alone as God. And this is how Jesus applied this commandment when Satan tempted him in Matthew 4. Satan is tempting him to bow down and worship him. And Jesus said to him, "Begone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. The first commandment tells you who you must worship and serve. And this is the central and most basic purpose and calling and highest joy of life. If God is who he says he is, then you know that, you know him, you trust him. But more than that, you bow down before him. You worship him. He must be worshipped. The knowledge of who God is and what he has done must lead to praise. To worship and service of the living God. I want you to just think for a few moments about some of the things the Bible says about God. and, And why this ought to drive us to praise him. If this is who God is, if this is the God we are to have as our God and worship, think about why this drives us to praise. If this God, the living God, counts the number of the stars, if he knows the number of hairs on your head, if he spoke and formed the ocean and dry land and all the creatures in them, If he always was and is and is to come. If he's merciful and gracious and slow to anger. If he is your father in heaven. If he gives you daily bread and the air you breathe, life itself. If he knit you together in your mother's womb. If He loved you from before the foundation of the world and sent His only Son to die for you when you were dead in your sins. If He has adopted you and given you resurrection, eternal life, forgiveness of sins. If He is perfectly good and just and all-wise and all-powerful. If He is love. If He never changes and never fails if he's your rock and your redeemer, your provider, your sustainer, if he upholds the universe by the word of his power, we could go on and on. Will you not worship this God? How can you not fall down in awe and wonder? and praise and and seek to give your life to him will you not give him your heart and your praise and your service and your life and your attention your ear your your bowed knee your humbled heart your heartfelt service your witness you see this commandment really asks for all of you It rules out lukewarmness and half-heartedness. It calls for full devotion to the living and true God. It calls you to treat the real God as God. To respond to him as God. Romans 12 puts it this way. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship It goes on, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation and constant in prayer. Does that describe your life tonight? Does that describe what you are seeking by faith? Not perfectly But increasingly by God's grace, have you bowed your knee? Do you bow your knee in worship to this God? Have you given yourself to serve and glorify him with zeal and fervor and love? Will you and and do you live to worship and serve this living and true God? And as you think about your life tonight, as you consider this, where you see where you may not be doing this, will you repent and and turn from that sin and seek God's mercy in Christ where you might have failed? And will you recommit to what the Lord has called you to, this high calling in the Lord Jesus Christ? To worship and serve him because he is the true and living God. I hope you can see that when God says, have no other gods before me. He's really saying, have me as your God, your only God. Know and acknowledge me, trust and obey me, worship and serve me. It's utterly comprehensive, it demands all of you. It's the complete devotion and love that Deuteronomy speaks of. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And this is not slavery. This is not burdensome. This is not in your own strength. In Christ, this is really freedom. This is life. This is joy and happiness. And this wholehearted devotion to God in Christ, as his redeemed people, will fill you like nothing else. It'll crowd out the lesser loves, those things that we make into gods. It'll put everything else in its place and order your life so that the next nine commandments flow out of a heart and a mind and an energy devoted to the Lord. One preacher called this the expulsive power of a a new affection. The expulsive power of a new affection. This affection, this love for God, this devotion to Him, Him who first loved you in Christ, will captivate you with such power that it'll drive out, it'll expel the other affections which do not last and do not satisfy, which become false gods. I want you to think about the passion and devotion of an elite athlete, maybe an Olympic athlete, a gold medal winner. What got them to that place, that podium? It wasn't a casual pursuit, a light workout here and there, wearing the right gear, calling themselves an athlete a loose identification with a particular sport. No, their lives are consumed by and driven by and devoted to and defined by their sport and this relentless pursuit of excellence. Everything belongs to that and and is ordered by that. From their nutrition to their sleep to their warm-ups and cool-downs, their mental preparation and study, their workouts, their carefully... Selected coaches and trainers, uh, even the athletes that they train with. They give themselves fully to their sport, training, improving every day, exerting themselves, working, trying, failing, learning. There's no room for distraction or slacking. For many, this becomes their God. The podium is their idol. Brothers and sisters, should we not be devoted with far greater joy and focus and zeal to the true and living God, to him who is far more wonderful and glorious, to that which lasts forever? 1 Corinthians 9 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable. Friends, God calls you to run. To run after him. To run to obtain the prize. He himself, as your God, And when you devote your life to God, the the God who loved you and devoted himself to you and brought you out of slavery through his own son. When you devote yourself to this ongoing pursuit of the living God, when you make it your aim to know and trust and obey and worship and serve him, there is no greater joy. There is no higher love. And one day you will see him face to face after you have finished this earthly race. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Now as we hear all of this, as we think about the first commandment, and as we close tonight, we need to know that apart from Jesus, the Son of God, we cannot do this. Apart from Jesus, this is all burden. Apart from Jesus, this first commandment, the very first commandment, condemns us. Why? Because we reject this God. We have other gods in our sin. We have hearts that are rebellious. Apart from Jesus, we will strive in vain, Uh, even as his children. If we're seeking to do this in our own strength, Or for our own name. It will be empty. It is through Jesus alone that we can truly know God. It is through Jesus alone that we can trust God and come to him in faith knowing that he is gracious and forgiving. It is through Jesus that we can pursue this God with love and joy. By his grace and to his glory. It is through Jesus alone we can actually begin increasingly, not perfectly, but increasingly in this life to obey and serve God. It is through Jesus alone we can worship God. On our own we cannot. We are full of sin. We are unfit for his presence. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Because all of us fall short. All of us break this commandment. Jesus alone kept this first commandment perfectly in the place of sinners. And so it is only by faith in him that we are forgiven and able to truly know and worship God and be reconciled to him and love and serve him as our God. And so friends, when you hear the first commandment, it ought to lift before you Jesus and direct your eyes to Jesus. Do you know Him? Are you trusting in Him? Because you cannot know this God apart from Him. You cannot come to the Father but by Him. You will not worship and serve the true God apart from faith in Jesus. And you cannot do this apart from the Spirit of Jesus. We heard about earlier the Holy Spirit regenerating your heart, uniting you to Jesus convicting you of sin, teaching your hearts to turn from false gods to the true and living God. And so, brothers and sisters, as you seek the Lord as your God, as you seek to worship Him alone, depend on Him and His grace. Depend on His Spirit. Keep your eyes and your hearts fixed on Jesus, who was perfectly devoted to to God, perfectly knew and obeyed and worshipped him and lived and died for you. Each one of you is called and invited by the living God to know and trust and worship him as the one true God through Jesus. And this is the first and most basic joy and calling of life from your Creator. People of God, by faith in Jesus, have this God, have the Lord as your God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would write your words on our heart by your spirit. That you would show us why we need the Lord Jesus Christ how quick we are to have other gods before you. Even even now, as your children, as those who have been brought out of slavery, Lord, we are quick to turn to false gods. We ask that you would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you and praise you for the perfect righteousness of Christ. We pray that by faith you would enable us to have you alone as our God to worship and serve you with joy, to pursue you and seek to know you with love, to be a light in this dark world, to be your holy people to your honor and glory. Father, do us do this in us by your grace and to your glory. For our good, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.